John, now that we're back and rested from the winter meetings and um, back in New York, we're being joined by another New Yorker on the show, Harrison Bader. What do you think about that? It should be great. Harrison is a very, very well-spoken young man. Should be a terrific, terrific guest. Was great for the Yankees defensively, one of the best in the game. And wow, was he clutch in the postseason. We'll talk about that postseason with him, Aaron Judge, what it meant to be traded to the Yankees, how he found out that he was traded to the Yankees. And John and I are going to do some summing up of a free agent class that isn't quite over yet, but we have a lot of thoughts about if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, John, you and I have dragged our bodies a week after the winter meetings. We're too old for this. I think we've done those winter meetings at 28, 38, 48. For me, 58. You, I won't give your age away, uh, a little older than me. But it means that we're well more than a month into free agency. We're not done. As we're doing this, you know, we always want to stay evergreen. There are very, very good players who can change the arc of teams off seasons still available. But why don't we review at least a little bit? Uh, tell, tell me something you've really uh, liked so far, John, a, a, a deal where you think a team has done well. Well, I mean, I think we all like the Aaron Judge deal because they needed to get him back. Um, it was $360 million, a little bit more than uh, maybe was predicted, but I think very fair. And he could have gotten more in San Diego and San Francisco. So that's the obvious one. I'm going to pick one not so obvious one that happened before the meetings. Once the meetings got going, I think a lot of these deals, uh, I don't want to say get out of hand, but they uh, went for very, very high prices. I thought one very reasonable deal was done earlier, and that was Tyler Anderson with the Angels, three years, $40 million. Turned out Zach Eflin, who was a reliever, good good pitcher, but a reliever at the end of the year, got the same three years, $40 million. So I, I thought the Angels uh, got a good deal with Tyler Anderson. So I, I guess I, I kind of split the baby there and pick Judge and Anderson, two, two things on opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, it's interesting, John, if, if Tyler Anderson waits longer, he probably gets more money. Do you think that's also true? The other guy who had a qualifying offer who did, jumped early was Anthony Rizzo. Do you think if Rizzo doesn't sign quickly that he does even better than two at 40, especially after Abreu gets three at 60? I don't know. Does he Does he get up to there? I mean, I think Rizzo is a fantastic player. And, you know, I mean, there are teams that look at the first base. The Yankees, I mean, they absolutely needed to bring Judge back. I felt almost the same way about Rizzo. I mean, he's great in the clubhouse, terrific defender, uh, left-handed bat, which they obviously need. I mean, they couldn't have switched off and gone to Abreu. They they need a left-handed bat at first base. So, you know, I feel like he probably would have gotten more. But, you know, I don't criticize anyone who wants to be a Yankee. And uh, he obviously wanted to be a Yankee. You know, I hate to be provincial, but you know the move I like? I like the moves the Mets made with pitching. I really do. Uh, the Verlander uh, deal, I know people go $43 million a year for two years. Well, once Scherzer steins for three at 43, the great older pitcher is going to get that amount of money if he wants to keep it short. DeGrom would have gotten it if he wanted to do a three-year contract. So I think that is kind of in, in the realm 
And I like I heard people talking about it like crazy, as if Justin Verlander had just gone ten and fifteen with a four fifty ERA. He just won the AL Cy Young. I like Quintana at two years at twenty six. I like David Robinson at one and ten, and I like the trade for Brooks Raley, who brings in a real lefty reliever that they didn't have last year. And if I was just uh, pointing out. The Mets were in a bad situation this year because they had so many starting pitchers who were free agents by getting Verlanda and Quintana done through next year. If Scherzer opts out, at least they're not in quite the level of desperate situation that they were this year. I agree with one caveat. The reason it was three for 43 million is the Mets did set that market and pay Scherzer that money, which kind of obligated them to pay that to Verlander who's also won three Cy Youngs that have had a very similar careers. It's going to be interesting to see them together again. Obviously, both type A personalities. They were with Detroit for several years together and uh, by all accounts were not very close. Uh, we had Scherzer on. He was our first player uh, on the show, and we both like him very much. But, you know, uh, maybe we're not pitchers. We're not in competition. It's not so easy sometimes in the clubhouse. A lot happens, but should be interesting to see. I, I'm kind of with you. Uh, you know, uh, once they made their bet at three years and 43 million, uh, Verlander, two years at 43 million was the logical deal. I heard teams criticizing it. I do think the Dodgers were fairly close. I couldn't tell you exactly what they offered. Uh, it wasn't exactly $86 million, or he might have gone there. He does have a home in LA. Mets probably needed to pay a little bit more because uh, it did seem like he preferred to be LA. Of course, we thought that was Scherzer, too. People are starting to like New York. It doesn't it seem that way. Uh, California is not so popular. That's one thing we learned at these meetings. Uh, San Francisco is having trouble getting people. The Mets brought Nimmo back, which I thought was fairly somewhat reasonable. You note know that I left Nimmo out. I said I like the pitching deal. I understand. Uh, you know, Nimmo, to me, he's improving. Uh, I get it. In the past, he's missed a lot of time, but he has not missed much time in the most recent years. Um I think that was a matter of just supply and demand. Center field, there was nothing. Unless you were going to tell Aaron Judge, I want to sign you and I'll put make you a center fielder. Other than that, you know, Kevin Kiermaier is a defensive player only. Uh, there really wasn't anything else. There was only one game in town. I think Steve Cohn rightly felt he needed to bring Nimmo back, just like he did with Diaz, which, as it turns out, getting Diaz early, uh, I mean, I know it was a record deal for a reliever, so more power to him, but that seems... Pretty reasonable in this market to to give him that $102 million, $86 million or so when you count the deferrals, I guess $87 million. But I, I think overall, I think compared to the other teams, and I, I think the Mets got individually, they got reasonable deals. That said, I think the other owners are probably going to come down on Cone, and I give him credit for, I mean, he knows this, going out there and doing what he can to win games and to make the fans happy. And that's what he said he was there for, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, we should talk about this, John. It's happening in our town and in our sport, which is Steve Cohn has taken his payroll up towards about 340 to 350 million with tax penalties up over 70 million because he's going to go so far over what got dubbed the Steve Cohn tax, the fourth threshold in the new collective bargaining agreement. He's going to spend well over $400 million on payroll in 2023. Uh, and I'll just share this is I I've always thought like this when it comes to very rich owners, look, they're all very rich, but I guess I should separate the ones, the super rich, and there's no one quite like Cohn. I don't ever understand why they don't treat their baseball team like a yacht, right? Like if you bought a yacht, you would buy the best yacht you can get 
You would outfit it the best you can outfit it. You would put the best staff on it and you'd have the best parties because the idea of buying a yacht is to have the most joy and the greatest status from doing it, right? If you could afford it, you're not expecting the yacht to throw money back on you. If you're like Steve Cohn, why not treat it like a yacht? Like it's about status, right? Which is think about his reputation, how much his reputation, he did not have a great reputation coming into this sport because of problems with the SEC, et cetera, before he got here. Think about how a fan base loves him now. It's kind of cleaned him up. Plus he's having as a Met fan, this great joy of kind of going for it. If it throws money back, whatever, he's an art art owner. Like it, until you sell the art again, you don't have any money to throw that gets thrown back on yeah. you. This is about joy and status. Yeah, I mean, I certainly do not blame him. Uh, he is in a different category, I think, than all the other owners. I think learn the Lerner family is probably the second richest. I don't know. Uh, they don't give me their and they're selling, uh, and they're selling, and they're worth about I think less than ten billion. So less than probably about half of what Cone is reportedly worth. So, uh, you know, he's in a different boat, which is why probably a half dozen other owners were against bringing him in. He did obviously get the requisite three-quarter vote to get into the game. And, uh, you know, nobody should be surprised that this is the way he's doing it. I mean, I've talked to him several times throughout this. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say he's laughing about the tax, but it doesn't seem to phase him. And I could have sworn when I was talking to him on the phone, when he said 90% tax, it sounded like he said 90 cent tax, not percent, like it was almost nothing. You know, I, I maybe I wasn't hearing it right, but he kept saying 90 cent tax. It didn't seem bitter. I think it is almost nothing to him, right? Uh, you know, somebody who is in his world, when he bought the team, told me, I'm going to have to learn to think completely differently because the difference between $300 million and $400 million to Steve Cohn when he wants something might be the difference between $50 and $100 to you and me. I mean, it's not going to change his life except for potentially make him happier and improve his status and reputation, which is what's happened. He's, you know, he should be happy. He had a team win 101 games last year. And, uh, you know, he, he and his reputation's great right now, at least among Beth fans. Right. And I want to just clarify, as I was saying that, I realized why he calls it 90 cent tax. It's because it's 90 cents on the dollar, probably. I don't know. I'm not a... I've got to see in economics and, uh, you know, we're, you know, when he's talking to me about it, I really don't know what he's saying. So, but he did not seem bitter, did not seem upset. Did, you know, he seemed like this is the price of doing business and, you know, he wants to win and uh, he's been a great owner. You know, I mean, he's out there, he does, he did our podcast. So anybody who does our podcast, we give them a big plus for that. But I mean, and he did it on short notice during the trading day. Uh, incredible. Uh, he's been, he's been an owner. Amazing. I I will say this. Uh, I got to give them props in San Diego because they do not, they're not as rich and they do not have the revenues that the New York teams have. You know, I know MLB thinks they're losing a lot of money. Uh, they are raising revenue. I know that, but there's a limit and they have a long TV deal, which isn't good. I'm sure they're TV partner is happy with them that the ratings are going to be so good. Have all these superstars. I got to say, the mo- you said the best deal. The most amazing one to me was Bogertz getting $280 million. I, I mean, I don't think anybody's a great player, but I don't think anybody saw that coming. Yeah. You know, John, if, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about Steve Cohn on one end of it, the Xander Bogart's uh, uh, contract makes us actually have to probably talk about the Red Sox a little bit. I continue to not fully understand what they're doing. If I were asked- You're not alone. If you said to me right 
Now, there, there have been a lot of contracts that I have not loved this offseason. If I had to pick number one, two years for $32 million for Kenley Jansen. Now, that's not going to break the Red Sox, right? And he was fine last year, but he's trending the wrong way as a closer. Closers are not kind of in vogue anymore. Unless you have the very best of them, most teams are mixing and matching more than ever. This is like, you know, you start thinking about Trevor Story last year to play second base when we wondered if he was broken and Story and like, wouldn't they have just been better off, collect all the money and keep either Betts or Bogarts and and, and like homegrown players who are great. I'm blown away by what feels like a zigzaggy no plan here from obviously smart people with a lot of resources. Right. Very smart people. Uh, They're right near the top on the revenues. No question about that. Um yeah, I, I'm, I really don't get it entirely either. Um, you know, I am a proponent of closers. I think having somebody like Classe or Diaz is a major advantage. I still think Kenley Jansen is good. That one didn't bother me. I mean, I saw tape of Yoshida. I'm not a scout. He looks great. But from other teams, I heard he was, they were thinking 40 to 50 million. I know that the Jays and the Dodgers were in there. There was kind of a three teams at the end. And feels like the Red Sox, uh, paid a ton. Uh, you know, they're going to end up spending $105 million for a guy who's below average defensively, um, which is a little surprise for an analytics run team. Uh, he does look like a good hitter, but uh, I think they, it seems like they way overpaid on that one. And to way overpay on that and to underbid like they did on Bogarts is the shocking one. Uh, Bogarts, it's well documented. They they wanted to add one year to the $60 million they had left to uh, circumvent that opt-out and give them uh, four years at $90 million. They were going to add one year at $30 million in the spring training. And I heard that right at the end of the season, they offered them $120 million. Uh, I mean, we didn't see any of this coming. I don't blame them for not paying him Bogarts $280 million, but uh, it's something to be outbid $120 million to $280 million. I don't think we've ever seen that before. Well, it feels, again, John, like maybe maybe you don't want to go to $280 million, but it feels like a plan of the day because Story plus uh, Yoshida is $230 million. Would you rather have Story and Yoshida or would you rather have Bogarts? You know, like at a, a, a well... Now, at a well-timed moment, if they offered $230 million, Bogarts would have taken it, and you would have had a homegrown player into the future. So it just feels like we're making up plans as we're going along, and it doesn't make sense to me. This is a team that has plotted well enough to win four championships this century. They're run by an executive in Heimblum. I think we both have great uh, admiration for his intelligence. Uh, they clearly have money as the Boston Red Sox. What are they doing? Well, first of all, let me clarify. They offered the 120 million in October. It was around 168 million or something like that at the time that uh, San Diego went to 280 to win the day. So they did bump it up again. But if they dealt with this last spring, John, with some of this money they've, you know, they've de- directed it. Right. Yeah. If they offered the 168 or something slightly above that, maybe in spring training, they wouldn't have this issue. And now you've got Devers. I don't know that Devers, I do think that. Sometimes players are affected by seeing what's going on around them on the team and losing Bogarts, would it affect them? You know, I'm not sure, but it certainly will harden his stance. He wanted $300 million, right? And they were willing to go around 240 250 from what we heard. I mean, at this point, with a guy a half decade older, 
almost. Uh, Bogart's getting $280 million. You can't really give Devers $240 million, right? They're going to have to go come up on that one. So, you know, it seems like they, they, they waited too long. They acted too late. And uh, it's, it's cost them. And they, have, they finished last last year. And, I, you know, it's not all high bloom. I mean, he's the general manager. He's the one who's taking the bullet. But, uh, I mean, ownership has got to be involved in these big deals, right? And I, I, I see there's comments. And I, they've been great owners, obviously, overall. But about them distracted by owning the Penguins and the soccer team and all that. You know, you wonder what exactly is going on there because, uh, you know, you finish last, you think you're spurred on, you're triggered to do something great. As, uh, you know, I think the Giants are trying to do. They finished with a 500 record, not last. The Cubs seem to be trying. Uh, I mean, Boston at this point has gone backward, losing Bogarts. I I agree that trade is not great to have Jansen and Yoshida and lose Bogarts. Yeah, uh, look, there was a team in the AL East that didn't get it done with an extension offer in spring training in the Yankees and Aaron Judge, but they ultimately got it done. I'm sure we're going to talk to the guy who's going to be playing next to him uh, about that subject. That's Harrison Bader, who joins us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. And we're so pleased to be joined by the center fielder of the New York Yankees. One of our few guests will actually be in New York. He's talking to us from Manhattan because he's a New Yorker, uh, is Harrison Bader. Thank you so much, Harrison, for joining us on the show. And I, I guess the place to start is the guy who you definitely know is going to be playing next to you now uh, in the outfield for the Yankees in 2023. I wonder, even as a relatively new player to the team, were, how were you following this, and uh, how much were you hoping that the guy would Aaron Judge would be next to you in 2023? You know, first I just want to you know thank you guys obviously for having me. It was great to meet you guys initially and coming to the team. So you know, it's always nice we can do things in the off season. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, I knew we were kind of jumping right into this. So uh, listen, I, I think um, I think it's important that every organization when they have um, you know special talent and players, especially when they obviously show up on the field, but you know what that talent and, and player means to the, the rest of the clubhouse. When you have that, which is very rare, it's, it's really important when given the opportunity to lock it up for a long time. So seeing Aaron receive the contract he did is awesome. You know, you mentioned I kind of signed on kind of late to the party, if you will. Um, but, but even in my short, you know, time playing with him last season, you know, I realized very quickly what he means to this organization. And I'm just tremendously happy for his success. And you know, I just give him an absolute, you know, massive congratulations because it, it's hard to, uh, you know, really earn anything in this game. And, and for him to do in that fashion and accomplish what he did is awesome. So um, I, I couldn't be more happy for him and I'm excited to play with him next season. Harrison, thank you again for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, you started with a different iconic franchise in the National League, the St. Louis Cardinals, where you played with some other stars, briefly with uh, Albert Pujols. What, what do you, I mean, and you are from New York, uh, Westchester, product what's been the difference being a yankee versus a cardinal there are definitely differences um you know small things like travel 
you know, St. Louis is, is a bit smaller and, and much more accessible with our airport and um, the Midwest travel, you know, night games or even day games before we have to travel. So, you know, things like that are definitely different. But, you know, I have to admit, both both cities have, uh, you know, the same level of energy behind, you know, wanting to go out there and win a baseball game. Both organizations, both cities have tremendously high expectations for their baseball organizations. You know, obviously being from here, I'm, I have more friends that I've grown up with and my family is very close. But, you know, with regards to the baseball, I mean, there's just both organizations operate at a very high level. So with the trade, as I mentioned before, I think as happy as I was to be in New York, I also realized that I was I was also very potentially close to, to being a part of some not so good organizations. And, uh, you know, I'm just very, very grateful to just have an opportunity to, as you mentioned, go from one story organization to the other. And I just try to take advantage of that every single day, even when I'm not playing in the offseason. And you know, there's a lot of weight that, that goes with both organizations. So I'm just happy to be a part of, uh, you know, two wonderful franchises. You know, you were not a traditional trade, Harrison, in that you came to the Yankees as an injured player. Uh, you had a foot injury. Uh, I try to pronounce it, but I'm going to get the second part of it wrong in my Brooklyn accent. Uh, so but you came with a foot injury. You were on a little cart for some of that in a walking boot. I wonder if you could take us through that, uh, what it's like to want, come someplace. And obviously, anyone who's watched sees you're a passionate player and obviously want to show a new team what you're doing. And literally, you cannot do it. Yeah, it, it was definitely challenging. Life and this game, they, they always present challenges. And I think it's important to surround yourself with people that are always going to help you problem solve and move in the right direction. And that's really what this was about. Um, it really wasn't a, a singular event that took place where... You know, I experienced pain. It was just a, a kind of eroding of a, uh, you know, an insertion point off of the bone that just kept getting more and more inflamed and ultimately turned into something a bit more serious and a, a stress reaction in my heel. But, you know, plantar fasciitis, it, it, it happens. It, it comes from working hard. And that's really all there is to it. It was, it was very debilitating. You know, I didn't only experience pain when I started playing baseball. It was, you know, in the morning and anybody who's had this is just, it's just a nag. Um, and it, it really is difficult to kind of get it out of your out of your mind when you're trying to perform at a high level because you know every step you take whether it's in the morning to use the bathroom or you know try to beat out an infield single you know the the pain is there um so it it, it was a challenge but looking back at it all uh, just to be surrounded by not only a great medical staff uh, when i got traded to new york um but also just my family that was dealing with you know all the stuff behind the scenes my friends they you know i leaned on them tremendously so uh, as physically uh, debilitating as it was at times, I think it really just wore me down mentally. But again, life is really about problem solving and, and finding ways to you know create solutions. And uh, you know, I leaned heavily on a lot of people, and they supported me tremendously. So coming to New York finally when I was healthy, you know, the 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 easiest thing um, was just to go out there and just play the game I love to play. So um, you know, once you get past all that difficult stuff, uh, you know, the game almost. Um, became easier and and much more simplified, if you will. So you you seem to put all those complaints, you know, behind you, not even pay any attention. I, I know when uh, the trade was made, you were not able to play, which the Yankees expected, and Jordan Montgomery got off to that great start and didn't seem to phase you, and so you just came out and played. But then when you got to October, you starred in a very difficult environment. New York postseason. You think being a New Yorker helped prepare you for that? I mean, five home runs. And by the way, the Guardians, who are the smartest team, seem to keep throwing you a fastball. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give them any hints or anything going forward. But uh, did you notice that? Uh, you just picked up on it and we're just looking for it, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. Um, 
you know, first of all, with, with uh, you know, with the trade, whenever you're kind of traded, um, you know, straight up for a player, you, know, you do some background and come to understand, you know, kind of how we got here. And, you know, I, I realized how, 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 how really good Jordan was and, you know, the level of success he had with the Cardinals um, at the end of the season and, and, and after the trade, you know, I, I absolutely expected it. His, his teammates, his former teammates with the Yankees spoke tremendously high of him. So to see him have success was awesome. But, you know, his, his success didn't have anything to do with my, you know, my now being in New York and, and my trying to return to lineup. Um, so, you know, I think it's really important, especially when you're in a position where you're trying to get back, is you really just have to focus so intensely on whatever you have to do every single day to get back on the field. And for me, that looked like coming to the stadium with a positive attitude, getting all my work done. And then when they said, you know, enough for today, go home and just get some sleep and do it again tomorrow. So I really just tried to limit all the noise. And when it got to a point where I could finally play, you know, the only noise was the cheers of fans because we were in the playoffs, which is, you know, it's an amazing thing because it's such an incredibly difficult feat to achieve. And, you know, this organization has done it so often, um, same as the Cardinals. So I was used to it. I, I was ready for the expectations. And I definitely think that there's an element of being a New Yorker that allowed me to kind of just relax, maybe um, just a few more percent. I don't really know if I can quantify it, but there was a very homey feel um, to, to being in that stadium and, you know, having been there when I was younger with my family. I mean, there definitely was something special about that. And then again, you just go out there and you just keep it simple and, and be a winning player and adjust and, and see how it shakes out for you. And um, you know, I was just, I was just happy to go out there and play ball and just, and just be healthy. So I could, uh, so I could be effective for my team. That's really all there was to it. You know, Harrison, one of the ways you think about how would the Yankees be better in 2023 than 2022, and they were pretty darn good. They won 99 games, got to the ALCS, is a full season of you in center field. Uh, John mentioned the five home runs in the postseason. You're 28 now. You came to the Yankees known for your defense, your base running. Do you think you're growing into power and that this will be part of your game going forward? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I don't, you know, I don't, I like to think of my, my, just myself as just a, you know, a, I've always wanted to be a complete player, a total player. Um, you know, I want to help my team win multiple ways every single day. Um, you know, listen, there's, we're all strong. We train hard. I'm still, I'm still young. I like to think I'm still young. Thank you for noting my 28 years old, <laughs> but, um, but no, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's always, I could have said just about in 29. So I stuck with the yeah. 28 on it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think there's a. I think we have to look at what, you know, what, what creates power. Um, and in my opinion, um, you know, power is, uh, you know, having good hand eyes, scoring up the baseball, swinging at good pitches, swinging at good pitches over the plate, uh, maybe anticipating, you know, what might be to come and putting just a short, good swing on it. So, you know, listen, when I think when you do those things, the ball will jump for you. Um, you know, in no way am I, you know, a home run hitter. I'm trying to be a, a one dimensional player. You know, I think I can help my team win a lot of ways and, I just think the playoffs was just an example of just, you know, slowing everything down and just allowing the game to, you know, to come to me and putting good, solid swings on a, on the ball. And it really is that classic example when you just try to hit line drives and stay, you know, in the alleys, you know, the ball jumps for you. So obviously I was able to do it a couple of times, but, um, you know, listen, I, I think the power is in there and I'm just excited to, to go out there and just play with a level of uh, comfortability being back, you know, back in New York. And I think for me, health is the most important thing, especially considering the last two seasons, which Unfortunately, I haven't been healthy. I think if you just have a simple process, uh, the ball will jump and power can definitely be a part of my game. You know, I've seen the story told in the papers, but I haven't heard you tell it. The actual trade, it was kind of a shock to us. We knew they were interested in Montas and Benintendi and they got them. 
And they were kind of looking around after that to do something as a bonus trade. And we were surprised. Where were you? Could you tell us your reaction when you were traded? Where were you? And uh, what, what did you think going to your, the team that you followed growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, so, like, I was physically located in New York because I had just received a, um, a stem cell injection in my heel about four days prior to, to the trade deadline. And the trade itself happened pretty, pretty late into the, uh, into the day. I'm not sure exactly how many minutes before it was the final, you know, hard deadline, but it was it was pretty close to it. So, you know, I, I think anytime you're traded, you know, it's especially if it's the first time, it's it's a shock to the system. You know, I've spent my entire career, professional career in St. Louis, and you know, you you create ties there. And you know, when I found out, I was I was obviously, you know, I was I was sad. I was um, I didn't really know why or how. And you know, I feel like everybody has a, a a baseball is a business story, right? So I guess this was just the beginning of mine. And I think it's important again too to realize that as as much as I was questioning and worried about it and kind of just really taken aback by the trade, I I did land in an incredible spot. And that's what was fo- fo- uh, important to focus on. You know, you have to flush things very quickly. I think uh, in this game, on and off the field. So as sad as I was to leave St. Louis because there was just so much love there, I just. Uh, there was only one thing to do, and that was to focus on the future and, and being in New York. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely a roller coaster of emotions, but this is what it is. <laughs> Harrison, I did ask uh, about power. One thing you obviously have been known for is speed. I think you were before you hurt your foot last year. You're among the stolen base leaders in the sport. It's something that the sport is going to try to promote next year: bigger bases, fewer pickoff throws. Have you put a lot of thought into what it means for your game and what it means to the game in general? What's coming next year? Yeah, absolutely. Pitchers are really good. Uh, we know that. Um, they're, you know, they're how good they are is, is is better quantified for for people who aren't necessarily as close to the game as we are, um, and and they can better understand how good these guys really are. So, anything that promotes um, offense, which I think the bags and and the lack of pickoff throws is as crazy as it might seem, um, I think it does really promote offense. And I'm all for anything that's promoting offense and you know a faster pace and um, more aggression because stealing bases is about aggression. And uh, I think for my game, anything I can do to to make my game sharper, to to add another tool to my game is going to help my team win. And I'm all for that. So it's definitely going to open up a lot of avenues for me to help my team win. You know, I, I want to steal as often as, you know, as Booney and as much as, you know, we all get together and talk about it and prepare about it. I, you know, I, I always want to do it because I know if I'm 90 feet closer, that's, you know, 90 feet closer to home and that's a run for us. Um, so, you know, listen, I, I have thought about it and I'm looking forward to just diving more in as I get closer to kind of building up running and, and you know, full, you know, speed and everything and in preparation of, you know, hopefully a really aggressive, um, you know, base running preparation side of 2023. You're getting closer to free agency as you're traded here. And obviously you talked about uh, how much you've liked it so far. Obviously, you really thrived in the playoffs, which, you know, the New Yorkers appreciate. Uh, free agency is a big, big plus. Most players never get there. Um, you, you see how it's worked out uh, this winter for guys who did. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Do you, are you open to if the Yankees want to sit down to doing a, a, a long-term deal now? But, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you can't knock free agency looking at it. <laughs> you know, you mentioned you mentioned some players never get the opportunity to get to free agency, and that really is true. Every single day I spend preparing for a big league season – in a big league uniform, thinking about playing at the big league level uh, is an absolute dream come true. And, you know, I just enjoy every single day. I feel very far away from even thinking anything about 
uh, free agency. You know, there's a, it was a tough end to 2022. And the only thing that matters is on my mind is, is winning a world series in 2023. So, um, you know, anything contractually I've, you know, I have five full years and it's felt like a lifetime already. So, you know, the last thing on my mind is, uh, is anything from a contract standpoint, you know, we have, uh, much more things to focus on that are go far beyond my individual contract. So, so yeah, you know, I'm just taking it day by day and getting ready for a championship season 2023. So I just want to be clear, the Yankees haven't made an attempt to try to do something with you this offseason to try to extend you. <laughs> no, nothing like that has happened. No. Coming up on your docket, I believe, I hope I'm right about this since we're doing this, is uh, I think you've committed to play with Team Israel, right, in the WBC. Is that still ongoing? And what do you think about, about doing that? So I I did dive into it pretty intensely and i did you know speak with uh ian kinzer who's managing it and some of the behinding players involved um with the team but it actually most most recently i kind of came to a conclusion that it really isn't the best thing for me um especially as i'm preparing to be the best version of myself for my major league club obviously in the yankees so you know just just being game ready um that early in the year is something that i've never had to do and coming off of a you know the a difficult and finicky injury, if you will. It's definitely in my best interest for the for the team so I can be the best version for my team that I just have a normal ramp up, a normal spring training, and really maximize my rest, which is most important and which is what allows, you know, this this stuff to kind of really, really get get kicked out. So I'm actually no longer playing um in the WEC, but you know, those things, you know, come every couple of years. Obviously, we saw a little gap with COVID, but, you know, who knows with, with what's going on. But I don't anticipate anything like that happening. So, you know, when it comes back around and, and the opportunity is extended, I would I'll absolutely consider it much more and we'll kind of go from there. Well, as a fan of Team Israel, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed, but I certainly understand uh, you putting the Yankees ahead of anything else at this point. That's very, probably uh, very wise. I, I have two unserious questions for you now. I see some artwork in the back background. You, an art fan, and also, uh, you know, you had fantastic hair with the uh, the Cardinals, and you really, really complied to one hundred percent. Like I've never seen right away. Basically, shaving your hair down to a one or a two, whatever they call that for the barber. I'm so glad to see it's grown back. I personally am against the hair rule with the Yankees. I know we're on yes, and I'm sorry to tell if Hal's listening. Sorry about that. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with long hair, but uh, why, why did you why did you do that? And uh, you do you uh, intend to comply? And are you an art fan? <laughs> uh, so so first thing with the art. So I I absolutely an art and am, am an art fan. Actually, a uh, a friend's gallery of mine is located in Brooklyn. It's called Rotation Works, and it's a piece we're looking at behind me. They they do um, you know like artist residencies for about a month or so at a time. Maybe it'll vary, but um, that's just the uh, Pretty, pretty funky piece of work that I, you know, I love. So, yeah. And then about the hair. Um, yeah. So I definitely had like long curly hair, as you mentioned, you know, when I got traded, I, it was kind of one of those things where no one had to text me or call me about it. It's just like, you know, so now, you know, we know we have to cut my hair and my parents talked about it. And the first thing they said was like, you know, how, so how short are you going to go? And I'm like, I'm taking it all off. So, um, you know, and in, in many ways it was, uh, it was just nice to kind of just, you know, press the restart. I think um, I think with the amount of hair maybe I had, it kind of was symbolic of just, you know, a, a new chapter that I was just looking forward to, to being a part of. And I think the hair just kind of reflected that. So, yeah, no, I came in day one with a, uh, it was taken down pretty, pre- pretty much to nothing. So, uh, 
yeah, we're sticking with it. But you know, honestly, I got I got to admit, I like the uh, I like the look. It's uh, it's it's very New York Yankees, you know, late '90s, early 2000s, and that's a team I grew up with. So yeah, I like the look. I like the way it looks in the hat. It's clean, and uh, I will absolutely comply, no doubt. Working with John Harrison is knowing that I'll always be second on the hair and art questions. Uh, but uh, as a way to wrap up, uh, what, truly one of the most enjoyable conversations I had this year was uh, you happened to be at the World Series for one of the games. And you and I chatted for a long time. We were talking almost specifically about defense. It's probably the thing you're known best for. I thought how much you think about defense is fascinating and i don't think anyone who watches you how you know agile and uh, graceful you are doing it but also the way you get behind the ball and make sure guys don't take extra bases i wonder if you could just as a way to wrap up here if you could share a little what you shared with me that night just how much you think about playing that position yeah absolutely no i mean i you know i really enjoyed that conversation obviously i recall i I think, I think it's important because a lot of guys are really known for their defense. And the reality of the defense for me, especially starting out, was that my defense and how much work I put into defense and preventing runs on that side when given the opportunity, that was going to get me playing time. That was going to get me at bats, which once I got at bats, once I got more at bats, once I felt more comfortable at the plate, then, you know, my game would kind of come come together and I could really, you know, be a, an effective um, piece for a team or trying to win a game. And the defense is just tremendously important because you just never know when the game is going to show up and present you with an opportunity to either help or, help or hurt your team. And I was always raised by my father. I went to University of Florida where this, the same exact notions were instilled in me, you know, by, by Coach Brad Weitzel over there. And everything was about being a total player. You know, you got to steal bases. You got to play defense. You got to throw to the right base. You got to hit, you know, no backside runners, keep the double play in order, all these little things that ultimately come down to one run. You know, if you give up an extra, extra base because of an errant throw then maybe a single up the middle, he scores when he shouldn't be on second. And then you lose that game by one. Now, granted, a lot of pitches are thrown and everything really is a singular event. So never truly know where the one run is gained or lost. But the point is, is if you work so intensely on preventing runs and throwing to the right base and making sure guys respect your, you know, your throw in and you keep the ball low. All these little things are really separators. And as you progress and leaving the University of Florida and going through all these different levels in, in the minor leagues, and then you're, you're playing different organizations that, you know, some are better than others and some take care of the ball better. You, you really realize the importance of taking care of the baseball on defense and what it means ultimately after nine innings. And I think that these small mistakes, especially when you're going for, you know, a World Series, you know, these things are kind of blown up and, and they really, really do matter. And, you know, guys like Willie McGee um, with the St. Louis Cardinals would always say, you know, like you have to prepare and imagine yourself being able to get a bunt down in game seven of the World Series or throwing to the right base of game seven of the World Series, because the level of preparation has to be when it absolutely matters the utmost of, with the utmost importance. And if I'm in a position where I can't, you know, make a good throw, get behind the ball and prevent a runner from going second to third with us in two outs, and I make a good throw and he, he holds, now we got one out, you know, maybe we, you know, get a second out. But, you know, if I don't get behind that ball, if I make a lazy throw, you know, he takes third and then who knows, he hits a lazy fly ball in the outfield and we score a run. So all these little things are, are with the mindset of game seven World Series, I have to be able to execute a fundamental part of, of this game. And for me, having so many controllable factors on defense, that was just something I just wanted to just sharpen up, you know, every single chance I got to, to, to do it on the field. So 
so yeah, it's kind of long winded, but that's, that's the, uh, the gist of the conversation we had. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I am. Uh, I appreciate you taking us into that. Everyone probably who's listening to this already knew you were a great defensive player. They've learned you're an art lover. You're well coiffed and you're still only 28 years old, not yet 29. And Harrison Bader, John Heyman. That's young. Yes. <laughs> Harrison Bader, center fielder from the New York Yankees. John Heyman and I thank you so much for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Hey, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this. Have a great day. Well, talking to Harrison Bader during the regular season, John, I'm sure neither of us is surprised that he was a very interesting, captivating guest, and we're glad we had him on the show. What what stuck out with you? Yes, very insightful, very, very well-spoken, as we know from dealing with him. And sorry about my hair and art questions. I know that's not serious baseball uh, for you, Joel, but, uh, you know, I think him just being serious about wanting to be a great all-around player is really what stuck out for me, that he's not going to join Team Israel because he's con- focusing on the Yankees, that he's not focused on the contract. I mean, for me, if I see those dollar signs out there and I'm a player, saw what was going on at the winter meetings where your average players are getting 70, 80 million and your really good ones are getting 200 million. You know, I, I wouldn't get that out of my mind for a second. But, uh, you know, I give him credit, at least for enunciating that he is focused on the Yankees and getting better and not giving it a thought. Yeah. If I were him, I'd wait, John. And the Brandon Nimmo contract would give me inspiration to wait because he would go out younger than Nimmo. He'd go out as a better defender. We saw some of the power in, I asked you, we obviously asked him about this in, in the interview. We saw some of the power. I think the rules are going to play to his favor coming up this year. With He already was a superb base runner, one of the best base runners in the sport, a guy who could steal a base. That, that should help. I really think if you're starting to play the game on how do the 2023 Yankees, are they better than the 2022 Yankees? One of the key things is having Harrison Bader's defense for the entire season in center field where you don't have to have Judge out there or Aaron Hicks out there. And the potential that his offense will play this year in an interesting way. Like if he's suddenly an 800 OPS center fielder with 15 to 18 homers and 30 to 40 steals and a gold glove, that is a, probably a much better overall player even than Nimmo. And so what does he get on the open market as a younger player? Yeah, I'm surprised he, he isn't talking about it at the very least. He may not even be thinking about it. Uh, he's a very valuable performer. Uh, you know, I give the Yankees credit for upgrading a weak offense and turning it into one of the best off, uh, excuse me, weak defense, turning into one of the best defenses in baseball last year. And certainly Harrison is a, a huge part of that uh, going forward. Judge, as you mentioned, you want Judge in right field. I agree with you. He was actually good in center field, but... He is great in right field, the best right fielder in the game, may have the best right fielder and the best center fielder. And I think we're going to see improvement at shortstop. Catcher won the platinum glove. We know what Rizzo can do. Uh, Their defense is in great, great hands. Well, on future shows uh, on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, I'm sure we'll be talking with what else the Yankees do, the Mets do, what else is in baseball. So thank you for listening to the show, a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks as always to Jake Brown and Andrew Hart for producing the show. Don't forget, every Wednesday, you get to see that piece of art that Harrison Bader had behind him on the Yes app. It drops Wednesday at about noon. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. And of course, listen to us every week on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.